sinful acts always have their origin in some form of unbelief. Sinful acts always have their, at their origin some form of unbelief. Or maybe to put it another way, that behind every sin is the belief in a lie. You, know, you and I sin because we believe the lie that something is more satisfying than God. That we are better off without God. That his rule may be oppressive and maybe not the best in his planning. That we can have more freedom without him. And that sin ultimately offers more to us than God does. You know, this finds its origin in the garden. In the very first broken uh, uh, life of Adam and Eve as they sinned, they traded the truth about God for a lie. And so in many ways, in instances, you and I are unbelievers. Not in a confessional or maybe theological sense, but in a very practical sense that there are certain things about our life that we do not believe. There's a breakdown between what we believe in theory and what we believe in practice. And you know, though our unbelief is not done consciously all the time, behind every sin is basically an accusation against God. Let me read from Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So that we are, we are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creation instead of the creator, who is blessed forever. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and serve the creature rather than the creator. And this morning, in just a bit, as we process this, we're going to see that if we aren't careful, we run the risk of doing the same thing. So as we walk through these truths and we continue to sing on these truths, I pray that we will exchange the lies that we have often allowed ourselves to believe for the truth about who God is. And so as we continue in worship this morning, I want to ask if you just bow your heads with me in a moment of, of just prayer and reflection. And as the band begins to play, we want you to hear the truth of these scriptures just read over you this morning. Hear the truth about the glory of God.
chapter 6. That video really uh, hits home for me. Uh, if there was ever a sermon that it would be a good idea that I could, if I could audible, uh, it'd be, this would be one of those because this is one that I struggle with and that it may be one that, you know, I often feel not qualified to teach on this. You know, for about, beginning when I was about the age of 15 until for about the next decade of my life, uh, I wrestled with much of the same things that the video just described, a uh, panic attacks and uh, and things that were in, being in front of people to speak was something that was terrifying to me, and 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 as I thought about, it, as I heard the, the testimony of that video, I just began to to think and to say, you know, what was at the root and core of my insecurities in those things? And for so many things, it was it was so many instances, it was the approval of people. It was the approval of people wanting to be accepted and liked and received well. And so this morning is a, is a challenging word for me and one that I hope that we, tr- we definitely need the Spirit to teach and to challenge us uh, this morning. I want to consider the statement this morning that was brought up in that video, that God is glorious so I don't have to fear others. And what does it mean for something to be glorious? I think for us to be able to get a proper understanding of our response to something that is glorious is for us to really have an understanding of what it means for something to be glorious. Several people during our worship time read scripture this morning that spoke of the glory of God. And if you were to go to the root of that word in, God, in, in, in the text, you know, the word glory would really mean like a weightiness or a heaviness you know, of something, literally meaning heavy in weight, that for something to be glorious, it carried a lot of weight, it was, it was heavy, you know, several, as, as we looked at those scriptures in the Old Testament, they, when they referred to something being glorious, that might be referred to wealth, the, the glorious uh, state of someone's wealth. It might refer to strength. It could refer to kingdoms and their authority and power being glorious. And we've seen even in our reading plan where Moses, uh, a few weeks back as we read, Moses asked God to show him his glory. Or rather, God, show me your weightiness. Show me your heaviness. You know, Mount Sinai, he, he, he passes by and, and he says, I'm gonna look, you can't handle that, but I'm gonna put you in the cleft of this rock and I'm gonna cover you with my hand. And as I pass by, you, won't, you can't look on me, but I'll, you'll, see my, you'll see the back of me and give you a glimpse of my glory. And we see the glory of God in the passage from this past week's reading where God literally showed his presence at the tabernacle. If you remember reading in in Numbers, that is God, as long as the cloud rested on the tabernacle, they would not leave the camp. But when God's presence lifted and moved, they would follow his move, his glory. There was this keen awareness of the glory of God. And Isaiah in chapter 6 sees a similar instance in where he was, the glory of the Lord is revealed to him. And we see the proper response from him. I want want you to read with me beginning in verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and he was sitting uh, sitting upon a throne. He was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Man, picture this scene. There's all this activity going on. The glory of the Lord, as they worship, they said the glory of the Lord fills the earth. And there was smoke in the room, and, and the train of his robe completely consumed and filled this temple. And there was this voice of him who called that shook the foundations of the thresholds. And in response to such glory, in his, in, in his vision, seeing the display of the glory of God, look what Isaiah says. He says, woe is me, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king. I love that. His response to the glory of God is, wretched am I because I have seen the glory of the king. And he goes on in the midst of this, the response in verse 6, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah, in his vision, sees the glory of God and there was an awesome awareness of his glory to the point that he responds by basically saying, God, you are glorious and I'm not. So to say that God is glorious is another way of saying that he is holy. He is perfect. He is different. He is above all things. He is not even in comparison to anything. You and I are no comparison to the glory of the Lord. We have seen him display his glory, though maybe not in a vision like Isaiah, but in throughout the world and through our lives, we have seen the display of the glory of God. And it should lead us to a point of comparison where we see him as all glorious and us as not being glorious. Jesus is the desire of every human heart. We are wired to see him in his glory and to feel the weight of his glory. If you've ever, if you've ever kind of been in, worked in the nursery in the back or you've ever had this in your own home, if you've ever seen this, you know, these, these balls that they made and they have all these different shapes and they got the blocks that fit in those different shapes, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, okay, all right, good, because that illustration was not going to work well. So, so, you know, the only way, the only thing that fits into that proper hole is the right block. And, and this is the way that I view God. There's, there's, there's all these different things that we may put weight and heaviness to. But there is only one God who fits the space of seeing something as glorious. And he is the only one who is deserving, the only one who is glorious, the only one who satisfies. That's God. So like Isaiah, we see the glory of the Lord and we recognize that there is nothing else like him. He is glorious above all things. But yet we live in a culture, in a society that influences us to desire approval and to desire affirmation from people and things. And if we aren't careful to put glory on other things, 
We look for it by seeking approval through love and relationships, through our relationships with people. You see this in new relationships when you find such, such completion and affirmation from that person that, that you go to great lengths to make sure that everything is perfect and that you please them 100% of the time. You go to these incredible lengths to earn their love, to earn their devotion, to earn their affirmation, to, to earn their approval. And when they demonstrate love and affection and approval towards you, then you feel at rest and at peace and comfort and you feel like you have accomplished something because you've put this weight on that. And when they don't approve and they don't show you that affirmation and they don't show you that devotion, then you are in an absolute tailspin. You are scared and frightened and fearful of people and fear of that person that you might lose them to the point that it completely handcuffs you and derails you. And they completely have you by the strings and you move based on what will be most pleasing and desirable by them. So we find ourselves in these relationships putting glory on those things. And we avoid confrontation because we don't want to displease others. So for some of you, the, the weight that you put on something leads you to being non-confrontational. We'd rather just sweep things under the rug or deal with the hurt and the pain that we have experienced from someone because that's better than having to work through those things. You know, when we receive affirming words and signs of approval, we're joyful and happy. When we know that there is a confrontation and discord, we're so afraid that this will drive a wedge into their approval of us that we just altogether avoid it. And what this leads to, as we put glory on those things, and we have a fear of man, is it leads us to where we keep people at a distance we can't show them what is really going on inside of us because we truly crave their approval. And if they knew me and if they knew my scars and they knew my weaknesses and they knew my, my failures, they may not approve of me. So we keep people at a distance. We put on our image so that what they see is a reflection of who we truly are. We live in a good culture. How are you doing today? We're doing good. We're good. Your world's falling apart, but when you're asked, it's good. Have you ever notice when you ask someone, how are you doing, and they really start to tell you, you're like, whoa, whoa, just, just give me the good. You know, I didn't ask for all this. Just saying hello. And you know what this does is it leads us then, as we look at a people in a community together, as we look at the venue church community, the people that you say you are in relationship with like family, this will lead us to be slow to admit sin. It will lead us to be unwilling to show that we have failures. It will make us slow to be willing to allow others to bear the burdens with us. It will lead us to be too prideful to ask for help. And it will lead us to be unwilling to be transparent and vulnerable because of what others might think of us. We have a fear of man. Social media has hijacked this self-motivation for approval. Why do we often tweet on Twitter? Because we want to retweet. 
We want people to, we want to go back and, 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 you know, and see that. How many followers can we get on Twitter? Because that's approval. The more followers I have, the more people like to hear what I have to say. The more retweets I get, the more people like what I had to say. They think I'm wise. They think that I'm knowledgeable. And by them showing that approval, I'm thinking, man, I've got some satisfaction because I've had some affirmation from people. Why do we put a lot of updates on Facebook and then like psycho check it for notifications the rest of the day? Because we like to see comments. We like to see people like our statuses because it gives us a sense of acceptance. It gives us a sense of approval. And then if we aren't careful, this will lead us to behave different around certain groups of people. Because then we're like these, these, these chameleons in that we will morph into whatever and whoever we need to be for whoever we're around and whatever the situation might be. In spiritual settings, we put on our spiritual clothes. We clean things up, though we may be falling apart inwardly. We put on the church image because that's what we have to be. At the party, we are the life of the party, man. We are having so much fun because we have to be, to be accepted. And we find ourselves being actors playing the part that we need to play for whatever scene we have been cast in. Because we have a fear of others. And I want us to see, if, you, if you'll turn to, to, to Numbers chapter 20. Spoiler alert, but this is from the reading tomorrow in our reading plan. But I want to read this with you. Read about the price that Moses pays because of his desire to prove himself, prove something to people instead of resting in the glory of God. Look in Numbers chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses. And they said, would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness? That we should die here, both we and our cattle. And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. And there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and they fell on their faces. And listen, the glory of the Lord appeared to them. They felt the weight, the heaviness of his presence. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. But look what happens. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you, out, from you, for you out of this rock? And Moses, though instructed by God to speak the word, the water out of the rock, Moses lifts up his hands and he struck, struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me 
to uphold me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord. And through them, he showed himself holy. Man. Moses has been called by God to lead the people of Israel out of captivity to a place that he has promised to them. He has fed them. He has sustained them. He has given them exactly what they needed. He has shown how great he is, that he's in complete control of all these things. And now they don't have any water, and they're back to Moses. Moses, why did you leave? We could have been in captivity. At least we were full. At least we had water to drink. At least there were figs and pomegranates and produce. But he said, now you've brought us out here to this place where there is none of that. They were griping and complaining and upset. And God sees this. And Moses falls before God where he knows the help comes from. He has proved himself over and over and over and over again. He'd given them food and water to drink in the past. He has provided for them. And they fall before him and they feel the glory of the Lord. He reveals himself and he says, I see what's going on here. Now go and speak to this rock. Because through you speaking and the water flowing from the rock, you're going to hold me up, show my holiness, show my glory to the people. But what does Moses do? It's like he wants to flex in front of them. And so he says, listen here, you rebels. Here comes your water. And bam, he strikes the rock and water comes out. They get exactly what they need. But then God says, Moses, because you did not uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people, Moses, because you cared more about proving something to these people, these people you have labored and they have belly ached and griped, because that meant more to you than upholding my holiness, the very place that I'm leading these people to, you will not take them into. Moses and Aaron chose to hold themselves high above the the assembly instead of God. And you and I must be careful that we don't have a similar fear of man over a fear of God. And I want you to hear me this morning. If I could summarize this morning, this word, I want you to hear this. Whatever you hold, whoever, whomever, whatever you hold as the most valuable thing in your life will be the thing that you try to please the most. Whatever you uphold as the most glorious, as the thing that you desire more than anything else will be the thing that you try to please the most. If it's a person, then you are going to go to great lengths more than anything else to prove, to show value, to please that person. If it's a situation, if it's a job, you're going to work your fingers to the bone for that affirmation that comes from a job well done, and you're going to do whatever it takes, sacrificing family, sacrificing sleep, sacrificing energy, sacrificing hobbies, sacrificing everything so that you may please and find pleasure. Proverbs 29, 25, I want you to, you can flip there, you can go back to it later, one verse. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe.
Have you ever felt like you were trapped by someone or something? Like you were caught in this cycle of trying to keep everybody thinking highly of you? That you were caught in this cycle of trying to please someone? It is absolutely exhausting. It's an exhausting cycle to always be under the microscope, to always be out there putting yourself out there on the line. You want to run the risk of, of trying to prove yourself and, and instead of trusting God and holding him up as holy, if you want to try to do that and you want to try to earn acceptance, plant a church and see the danger that runs in you trying to prove something to everybody instead of you proving that God is holy and is in control of all things and we want his glory to be seen above all things. What does it lead to? It leads to anxiety in your life. We saw a video about that. It leads to stress. It leads to poor decision making. It leads to pride. We're basically managing everything you say and do so that you manage the response from people. You want not only to manage your behavior, but you want to determine the behavior of those that you're trying to please. And it lays a snare. A snare works like a trap where once a snare comes, you know, I, I watch all these shows that your grandparents probably watch or your parents. And, and you know, when they try to trap something with a snare, they'll set up this little, little ring. It's like a little, little uh, made of wire, a little ring. And they'll try to put a barricade around everything where they sent animals will have to go through that path. And what happens is when they hit that snare, it, it catches them. And the more they push into that snare, the tighter it gets and the more con confined they become. And that is us. When we fear ourselves, when we find ourselves fearing man, we fall into a trap that completely entangles us. And the more we push into that trap of wanting to earn behavior, of wanting to earn acceptance by our behavior, the tighter it gets and the harder it gets. And I want to read this scripture because we're comparing the weight of the glory of God. And listen in Psalms 27. If you want to look there, Psalm 27, 1 through 4. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So whom shall I fear? Who should I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Who shall I be afraid when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Because God is glorious, I don't have to fear others. We no longer fear man. We do not need any more approval from man because we have already earned complete approval from God through his son Jesus. God says you aren't worthless because they don't like you or because they don't accept you. I love you. You have to do nothing else for me. He says, you can do nothing more to gain more of my acceptance and you can do nothing to get less of my acceptance. You are accepted because I accept my son, Jesus. I want you to right now picture in your mind the person or the thing that you fear the most in your life, that you put glory on. 
there's a weight in your life, the person or thing that you desire acceptance from. And then I want you to picture God next to them. Which of them is more glorious? Which is more holy and majestic and beautiful and weighty? Whose approval really matters? Now, if you don't know God and through his son Jesus, you think he is just like us, then this imagery doesn't help you. But if you know him, you should be thinking, what in the world do I have to fear? They don't deserve my worship. They don't deserve my fear because they're not glorious like God. The writer of Proverbs says that the fear of God, a proper holy fear of God, is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. He says, why do you fear man that that can only hurt your body? Fear me. Have a holy fear of me and then see that through my son I say you're accepted. And this is the hope of the gospel, that the very one who has the right to kill us The very one who has a cause against us to kill us is the very one that says, I'm coming to save you from my own wrath. The very one who we have, the the only one we have to fear has said, do not fear. Do not fear. The fear of God gives us such freedom. Now, we obviously take people's expectations seriously because we want to show them you know, we want, to, we want to show them to, and we want to serve them with the kind of love that God has demonstrated to us and has told us to share. We don't serve them for what they can give us, though. Approval and love and acceptance. But we serve them out of this freedom of being accepted through Jesus. So the question I want to leave us with this morning is, do you have the fear of God in you or the fear of man? What carries the weight in your life? What do you put glory on? We must learn to fear the Lord and not man because whatever or whoever you deem to be the most glorious in your life will be the thing that you fear the most. Whatever you deem to be the most glorious in your life will be the thing that you fear the most. So in conclusion, what is our litmus test for this, this morning. I think we see the product of our fear. If you live with a holy fear of God, you will desire nothing more than for him to receive the glory. If you live with a holy fear of God, you will desire for him, only him, to receive the glory. It doesn't matter about what people think about you as long as God is seen as glorious. But if you live with a fear of man, you will live with a desire to want all the glory for yourself. I want people to like me. I want people to approve of me, regardless of what it means for their view of the glory of God. So this morning, may we ask ourselves the question, do we have the fear of God in us or the fear of man? Because God, because God is glorious, we do not have to fear others. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word. I thank you that we have freedom 
God, we have freedom from fear of man. We have freedom from anxiety. We have freedom from fear that leads to depression. We have freedom from proving ourselves and earning acceptance because the only one who is glorious, God, you are the only one who deserves for us to hold you up with a weight and a heaviness and you have said, approved, accepted. There is no condemnation for you because of my son Jesus. God, I pray for those in this room who struggle with the fear of man, who struggle with wanting to be accepted and approved, who live in a state of anxiety and fear of rejection and letting someone down. God, just as we read in your scripture a few weeks ago, that God, as the Israelites, your presence was there on the mountain and they formed a cow of gold and bowed down and worshiped it and held it as glorious. And God, we do that in our life so much. Though we see your movement and your presence in our life, we construct our own cows and we bow down and worship them. Father, may you crush the idols in our life that we hold in a place of glory above you. God, this morning as I pray even now for those in this room, God, may you right now bring to mind the thing that they are putting glory on. And God, may they see your glory next to it and may you crush the idol. Fathers of church, may we not allow our fear of others to destroy community and intimacy. God, may you lead our hearts to be open and honest with each other, to show our, our fears, to, to let go of our pride and let others carry the burden and weight with us, to let go of the image that we try to create. And may we see, all see ourselves as broken people and there, only one be, only, there being only one perfect, and that's your son. And may we all see our need for him. Because God, you are so glorious. You have revealed yourself to us, shown us, you have shown us your glory. So God, may we no longer have to fear others and other things. I thank you for the truth of your word this morning. And God, as we continue to worship you, may you continue to speak to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.